I'm Chris Peters, and welcome to the Consulting Psychic Podcast. This is a podcast designed for marketeers who seek a future in consulting, either as a main gig or as a side gig. I speak to marketeers who made a jump as a consultant full-time and to those that treat it as a side hustle. We'll dig into their stories about how they got their first clients, their inspiration, managing their time whilst they're still employed, and how they prepare to go alone. Now let's go. Michael, welcome to the Consultant Psychic Podcast. Yeah. Hey, thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, look, great to, to finally have you. I think we're now on fourth time lucky with some technical difficulties. So let's uh, kick things off with perhaps an introduction on yourself, where um, what's arrived, what's helped you arrive at this position now, and a little bit about your background. Yeah, for sure. So hello, everybody. My name is Michael Roberts. I am a consultant, contractor in the marketing space right now, specifically around email automation and demand gen. And uh, I've been doing that for, I guess, let's see, May. So we're around like eight months or so and eight or nine months. And uh, we're going to just, I guess, you know, I got into it because I was laid off, but I've been always working for companies. I started out uh, my career as an intern at Franklin Covey, which does professional development training. Um, They had an eloquent instance that wasn't used and they needed somebody to run it. So I kind of, fell into that. And then I got a lot of experience there, moved over to cloud app uh, software. It's a screen recording solution and worked with them for three and a half to four years. Uh, Again, starting out at the beginning with just email automation, but that quickly grew. We were a small team to a lot of content demand gen type stuff. And and then uh, ended up starting this, uh, you could call it a solo agency, you can call it just like a contractor, consultant, whatever. Um, and that's where that's what I'm doing right now. So I've got a couple of clients and an occasional, you know, side teeny project. And that's, that's where we're at. So great. So let's start with eight or nine months ago. So, you know, unfortunately, you went through the turmoil of being laid off, presumably, you had opportunities to maybe explore venturing back into full-time employment, maybe a few other um, different avenues that you could have explored. What kind of kick-started this journey to to pursue this route to work on for yourself? Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd seen... So it, it started before the layoff a little bit. Like, uh, I had always been... I'd seen several people jump into, like, the freelancer space or the consulting contractor thing or starting you know a lot of creators have their own business and running their kind of just a one person thing and though that idea always intrigued me um it i liked the idea of spreading out income sources a little bit i liked the idea of being a little more in control of how much you made and um and the variety of projects too so it was interesting to me, but I, I didn't really do too much about it. Um, I've, I've been, you know, probably like the early days back in with COVID, actually, uh, I started getting active on LinkedIn. And really, the thought there was just to find access to opportunities. It wasn't necessarily to start a business or anything. It was just, you know, like, there was a lot of uncertainty then. And so like, if I got laid off, at that point, I didn't have like a strong enough network to say like, oh, I can go, like, I'm stuck to the revenue, the resume stack. 
right? Like, mm. and when you're stuck to the resume stack, it's hard to stand out. You'll eventually get something, but it's hard. I didn't want it to be hard. I wanted to facilitate and have access to opportunities. And so I started getting active on LinkedIn, networking, creating a lot of content. And uh, eventually that started, you know, that's probably like the beginning of me starting to look at more opportunities like that. And then, you know, six to eight months before my layoff, um, <laughs> I, uh, I looked at, I, I started poking around at the idea and I had, uh, I started reaching out to, there's two things that sort of happened at the same time. An old boss of mine met somebody that needed a little bit of help. And so he sent him over to me saying, Hey, this guy might be able to help you. And we put together this like one project. It was like a thousand dollars. It was just like an audit. And I helped him out, look at like their email programs or nurturing and stuff in HubSpot. Uh, and so I finished that and I was like, Hey, like I can, I can kind of do this. This is, I can pick this up on the side. I'm it. I like, I liked it. It was fun to do something different. And so I was like, well, maybe if I can start something up on the side while we're going, then maybe down the road, it's a transition or maybe it's not. And I get stuck where I am and that's fine too. Um, so I started pinging my network uh, and just saying, Hey, just so you know, like if you've got extra projects or whatever, I'm starting to pick up a little bit of extra work. Just if you see anybody or know of anybody that needs it, let me know. Um, one of the people I reached out to was a former employer at Franklin Covey, a teammate of mine. And they said, Hey, good timing. We've actually got a project that uh, we could use your help on. And we already trust you and know that you're good. So let's see what it looks like. So right as I started that project was when I got laid off. And it was a little bit of a bigger project. And so I had this project and then my, I got four weeks of severance from the layoff. And between both of those, that amounted to probably seven to eight weeks of runway where money didn't have to change, right? Like it was already guaranteed. It was there. And, you know, I got a family, wife, three kids. And so the, the there's the stability element that's a little important. And I, I looked at the eight weeks and I was like, man, two months, two months is a lot of time to try and make something happen. And so I, I didn't, the idea of like starting a business seemed daunting to me. It seemed like I had to know a plan and know exactly what I'm building. So I didn't tell myself I was starting a business. I just said, Hey, let's try and pick up some work and see how far I can extend my runway. And I'm still extending my mm -hmm. runway. And so it's kind of evolved in that re regard and, um, and we're still going along. So that's kind of like the story of how I got, or this, this got started. So well, congratulations on extending yeah. the the runway, shall we put it? I guess a few things I wanted to touch on. So I think firstly, you've talked about this, um, or at the start you mentioned, or you position yourself as a one man agency working for yourself. So is actually the ambition to turn this what was you know a runway extension to then turn into a fully fledged agency, or is it, or are you still in this process of figuring it out let's see how far i can get this let's see how much i can grow this and we'll take it from there or actually now that you're eight or nine months in has the ambition changed 
Uh, I mean, the kind of ambition is changing, but it's hard for me to nail down what it is, which is a struggle, actually. Like, that's probably a difficulty on my end that makes me less effective. I, I think it's a cost I'm comfortable with at this point as I, like, figure it out. I'm going a little bit slower. I have not had the vision or really desire to build an agency. I've got a buddy of mine that has started doing that. We, he kind of started his thing a year or so before me. And he has started building an agency. He's worked with contractors to help fulfill his work yeah. or and stuff. And I haven't wanted to do that. I didn't, I, I struggled delegating for one. So it's kind of like a personality mm. thing. But the other side is I just didn't want to manage employees. I wanted to, I, I wanted to keep it simple. I wanted to keep it a solo thing. Like I just didn't have the ambition to make it huge. And so there was a lot of intention on just keeping it myself so far. And I don't plan on changing it there have been challenges in understanding like how I scale and what's next because I do, there is a desire to scale it a little bit, earn either earn a little more or um, earn time back for the same amount of work that's being done. And so I'm, I'm kind of in like a, and a, a very slow, uh, experimentation mode of that i've got a couple of clients that have filled up all my time and it's good but i'm uh you know what the next stage of what's the evolution of what i'm yeah. doing looks like i'm not sure and so i'm i'm constantly thinking about that trying to come up with ideas um and and seeing what's next so it's 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 hmm. a process for sure so yeah let's, let's dig into that process because scaling up and well, scaling back or trying to find efficiencies are two completely polar opposite uh, directions that you could go into. So yeah. what has been the thought process and structure to try and review what route to go? And also, how have you tried to experiment with both of these different potential ways of pursuing because they're so contrarian? Yeah, so there's some dominating themes in my life that I think have kept me away from the whole scaling up. And I th mm. it's really just my personal, my my personality, my life at home um, that I've got, you know, I want to make sure that I'm present at my kids' stuff. I help coach my kids' basketball team. Um, I'm pretty involved in like youth, a youth group at church. Uh, I've got like a lot going on that I'm unwilling to sacrifice, right? So I'm sacrificing, I guess, the scale of building a business for these other things. That's very intentional. And so I, those sort of things is, you know, cause I could all, I could spend more time and I could charge more. Or I could, I could aim at growing the business, but again, like that's not really the end goal for me. The end goal is figuring out how to morph the work to be as efficient as possible without compromising, you know, monetary growth to an extent and at a level that I'm comfortable with. And my time, you know, every, our time is limited. And for a role like mine, where it's very labor intensive, like I'm, I'm not just doing strategy. Like I do essentially like strategy and execution, which is a little bit tough for both my clients. Like a lot of people mm. do, they stick to a lane, right? They just execute or they just do strategy. I work on really lean teams where they need both. Mm. And because of that, the labor intensity is really high. 
And so I have to pack in the value for what I'm doing. And, but my time is limited. And so the efficiency piece is something I'm really thinking about of how I can, how I can make it more efficient. So I think those principles have guided me to focus more on the efficiency side because I'm unwilling to sacrifice other aspects to grow the business. And that's just a personal choice. And um, I, I think I find it the most fulfilling that way. And that's just the direction I've chosen to take it. And, and this is what it's all about. You know, when, when you make this leap and you, what comes with that is that uncertainty, I think building a life around what this is for you, I think it's really, really important. And it sounds like you're arriving at that. Yeah. It's kind of funny that like, as I'm, as I even like talk this through it made, I think I made it sound like I've got it more together than I actually do. Like there's a, I've, I've had a ton of days where I'm really unsure of like how I want to manage it. Right. Like not just from a, how do I make it more efficient or, but it's like answering those more fundamental questions. Like, do I really want to scale this? Should I scale this? Like mm -hmm. a lot of the messaging out in the world too, I, I can get influenced by of like building a business yeah. or scaling and being more productive. Like that kind of weighs down on me. And I feel a burden and pressure to be, I consider myself like a smart dude, like that I'm supposed to be capable and mm -hmm. good at my work. And so I want to, um, I want to, what's the word I want to, I want to, I guess, show out to the world that like I can do good things, but all the time I have to like, it, it's a struggle to try and rein it back in and make sure I understand, like, do you really want that? Is that what you're really going for? Does that meet the goals of what's built, builds a fulfilling, I guess, life for me. And most of the time the answer is no. And so then I have to recalibrate and focus on what, what, what works for me. So it's a messy, it's a muddy, messy process. Like, I think as I talk it through, it sounds like I've got it figured out, but there's, there's a lot more mess to it than I think we, I can even begin to share on like a call. So, well, well let's, let's, um, I want to dig one more time into this because lots of the people that will be listening to this, who I've spoken to have, have gone through this process or going through it, or it'll be something that they're, they're considering, so is there something that you've done in terms of like a support network or mentor, if that's your, you know, maybe, maybe your wife, maybe some former colleagues, peers, whatever it is, like, what have you done to try and sanity check this direction? Or is it purely self-awareness, self-reflection and looking upon like what you want to do, like your, your, your hand was forced on you. So have you not had time to, to think and you've just been on this conveyor belt? Or have you had that time out to really, really reflect on the direction? Hmm. You know, I, I, there's probably a little bit of both. So in terms of like mentorship, network and support, um, I have a few like friends and, you know, people in the marketing space that have done similar things. So like here in Utah, I know a couple of people that, have started their own like solo marketing businesses or a small agency, like I mentioned earlier. And so I've done a couple calls with them or I've done lunch a couple of times with them just to like talk it through. I think, I think that's helped. Our businesses are different. So, um, but having somebody to relate to and, and, you know, just the other week I, I posted about it on LinkedIn, actually, like I ran into somebody, they do product instead of marketing, but had a very similar story to mine about a layoff and then going solo and then just that. And I think having, having people going through the same stuff, 
it, just having somebody to relate to, even beyond mentorship or advice, but just um, it's helpful to have somebody to air out your your issues with a little bit just mm. to, because it helps you think it through. So like, just like, I think like a week ago, I texted my buddy and I was just like, Hey, like just how much work do you get done in a day? Right? Like, like, what are you doing? Because like, sometimes it's hard for me to judge if I like, there's some days, you know, like I, I feel like I'm totally undervalued for like the stuff I'm putting out. And then like, there's other days where like, man, I either got distracted or I didn't do as well as I should have. So I was just trying to, and I, you know, just gauging how much how much value to give for the time that I'm putting in um having people to like bounce those questions and ideas also off of are really helpful just with someone that can relate um I wish I had a little bit more of the advice and mentorship I haven't like pursued or found that as much um and uh probably something I need to cultivate so and then the rest of it I guess is I guess it is a lot of self-awareness i think it's just you know you know i i work just in my own office here mm. and so there is there is plenty of i don't think i am go as far as loneliness because i pick up my social stuff in other areas of my life but in terms of work related things when you, i at least for me when i get it started even though i'm active on linkedin and trying to nurture conversations there is an element of isolation that you have to deal with it's very easy to get caught up in my own head and lose track of new ideas or get just caught in my lane and I don't see a broader view. And in that regard, I think I do fall into a trap sometimes of just turning out execution, not 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 morphing the vision as intentionally as I'd want. Uh, and uh, and that's okay. I think that's actually part of the process of figuring out when I want to keep it like this. And so in spite of those challenges, I'm comfortable with them even when they're a little bit tough because we're still, you know, figuring it out. Interesting. So it sounds like you've, you've lent on pre-existing relationships to, to, to get over those barriers, those, some of those day-to-day challenges. Yeah. Have you explored uh, like those social friendships and social, I mean, social media friendships or online communities to, to get that, uh, I guess, fulfill that that loneliness that you alluded to or to have a soundboard that you know perhaps with your peers that might have something more in common with you or has that not just been something that you've had time to explore or you've not been willing to explore for for one reason or another no no maybe i undervalue i spend a lot of time on linkedin so i make sure i post i make sure i comment on people's stuff you know this product guy that i met just the other week it was an introduction from somebody or like an existing Mm -hmm. network but because i'm visible because i'm posting stuff and in conversations, he knew that I talk about this stuff, and they paired me up, right? So I am, I am getting, you know, I am building new relationships and trying to find avenues to make sure I get out of that, you know, my echo, my own personal echo chamber through essentially just LinkedIn. Okay. Um. So I wanted to dig into the, that network piece as well. So lot, lots of folks come on, they talk about network and that's that's the usually the the kickstarter that finds people's first few clients and uh helps get that that runway and ex- the extension off it yeah what what does that mean to you network uh, you know those people that you you hit up when you first got laid off were these yeah. all pre-existing relationships from 
people that you hope you are in employment with or these people that you have built friendships with on from social media a mixture of the both and how did that message specifically go was it hey john uh you know i'm now available for work uh, or you know i'm now actually actually you said you were doing it whilst you're still working so you know i'm doing this thing on the side um you know if you know anyone who's available keep me in mind it, like what did you actually say to these people and to, to who yeah so there's i essentially got leads from two avenues one was those existing relationships and that was the one that first started off and i early on luckily i didn't have to do as much outbound uh messaging because uh i got laid off in september of last year which was still early ish in like tech layoff momentum yeah and so when i post about it on linkedin i made sure that like i really worked on those posts to try and get the most out of them to be honest and they carried a lot they carried really well and they got a lot of visibility and i got initial conversations because of that so like oh, wow. there were companies that i had worked with at previous companies that saw that i was available and reached out there you know people like my old boss or people that i was just working with then referred me to someone because they knew that like I might be a good fit. So those were like the first, um, those were like the first couple like projects and clients that I got. And then, so that's one avenue. And and I did do outbound and tried to like push relationships, but I didn't have to do too much because I got those. And those, those were one-off projects that extended my runway. So I didn't have to do outbound too much. And then, so I was finishing those. And then along the same line towards the end, I was making sure I kept up with like LinkedIn content, like content and networking, just broader kind of stuff, not, not necessarily DMS or emails. And, uh, I had two posts in November that got a ton of awareness. Like it was my first post that hit like a hundred thousand impressions oh, wow. or something. And I got you know, like, I can't remember, it was like eight to 12, like, inquiries about work from those, those posts weren't even like advice or whatever, they were just mm -hmm. kind of like personal stories. But they were so they, they ended up being so relatable that it got a lot of traction. And I got inquiry, they so they saw the post looked at my profile, saw that I could help them, then they reached out. Because of those, essentially, that inbound engine, I got kind of the rest of my clients that I nailed down for the so far and you know it, since then it's essentially been status quo so um I I had built like kind of an outbound process of like companies I wanted to target and try and get to but I never got much traction from it and I didn't have the uh uh the pressure like need to hit that as hard as I did because I had these other avenues that had worked. And again, that like LinkedIn content viral, whatever, whatever you want to call it, that wouldn't have been possible if I hadn't done the two and a half years beforehand yeah. of slowly building up visibility. Right. So I benefited from this choice two and a half years ago, three years ago of getting active on LinkedIn precisely for like, I had the vision. I didn't know what it was going to look like. So I just got started, but without that choice of just being present, those that inbound flow of leads wouldn't have occurred no absolutely and i think I, I think about this a lot as well and i think what has stuck with me was what you said at the start of being part of the resume stack 
and how do you differentiate yourself and not be too reliant on that yep. day if it ever does come so um so no and again i i this this is what you hear constantly on linkedin as well you you hear a lot of folks referencing this takes time it's not something that just happens overnight and i think you're a great advocate of two and two and a half years in you needed to leverage linkedin and this is what propelled you to make this to make this start that you've had yeah i wanted to go into something you mentioned earlier about quantifying value so you know you you've kind of let uh leaps into this like new life and you know you mentioned that that first project was a thousand bucks and you know since then you've worked with a few different clients few different projects how have you gone about trying to quantify your value so are you looking at you know, what a lot of people say is when they start off they look at their yearly salary divided by the month and you know work backwards from that is that what you did and if so or if not like what did it look like but how has that evolved as well over the last eight or nine months yeah i mean i guess i had a similar flow like when i did when how i defined runway it wasn't by like what i was actually spending i was just trying to like correlate it to what i was making before my goal was to make what i made before and and so that's how i defined runway in terms of like how i structured deals and backed my way into it um I tried the, the nature of my work is a little bit tough from a billing perspective because there are some specific deliverables, but because we're on such small teams and there's a mixture of execution and strategy, there's the, the deliverables end up being kind of nebulous, just like a normal job, right? Like I'm almost essentially mm. running like a W2 employee with a different sort of agreement for these companies. Um, whereas, tip, you know, with agencies, it's like, oh, we'll run two campaigns this or this amount of hours, and it's very specific. Mine are built from a, kind of necessarily, they are built to be more a little nebulous, and um, and so I, as we initial conversations when we structured it, I, I had a plan of like how it, what it looks like in month one, month two, month three. And these are kind of the deliverables in the time, time frame. And then I would just say, this is what I think that's worth. Um, and that's kind of the scope. And it ended up being, you know, my goal was to earn, eventually earn more. So I'm at that point, like I'm earning more than what I was making in my W2 job. Uh, my early clients, I am earning, you know, less than what I have with later clients, which makes sense. I think everybody goes through that progression that as you find more success, you end up, you know, you're, you're better at delivering value. And because of that, you're also able to charge more. Yeah. And so same sort of thing for me. And, uh, uh, where am I going with that? I, I just think it, the way I've structured it is, understanding that I wanted that growth. And as I tease it out, and, I, you know, if I think it's worth this much, and I'm willing to risk, I, I guess it's risk, and I'm willing to risk the deal based on like, it is that value, like, if they don't think it's valued that much as a client, then you know, it's not a great fit. And that's okay. Right? Like, there's nothing personal from me on that end or their end, like, our needs might just be different. And, um, you know, just like there's, budget retailers and high-end retailers, there's probably, you know, budget contractors and high-end mm. contractors. And so there's no difference there. 
we, you just kind of figure out where you're at and you might go from budget at the start and work your way up to be more high end as you re refine your process, refine your value and so forth. So on that, how has your positioning changed to reinforce this extra value that you, you're giving to clients eight or nine months in? So you're better at driving efficiencies, better output, and you are now um, able to charge more. How are you able to almost convince or convey to a client that you are now worth X versus when you was worth, you know, lower X eight or nine months ago? Or has it not come up? It's just a natural progression for you. Uh, right. Uh, probably natural progression, but uh, I haven't done as much repositioning as like I should. There was like a big moment in um, kind of early days that I think actually where I did reposition a lot and that changed the, just the nature of the conversations I had with folks. So initially it used to be pretty organic. I just find out what their needs are and then put together a proposal. I ended up switching that up to saying, here's my process of like general fractional demand gen. And I had a whole slide deck and I had like, this is what I do month one, month two, month three. These are the steps, the things I'm looking for by this time, based on those answers, we start running this and you know, they're not so specific that we get pinned and hold into something that doesn't work, but it shows that I have a framework. Yeah. And the, when I, as, like all of the conversations that I had that were so much more um, effective than what I was doing in pitches beforehand, because it just showed that I, I had it together, right? Like I had a plan. I knew what I was doing. That's valuable. Like that builds confidence. Um, I haven't taken that to the next stage yet because I haven't needed to. I will eventually. But uh, that was a big change that I made that just made the conversations that we were having before we worked together so much more effective. And I think it really pitched me more as of a consultant that is going to deliver value as opposed to just somebody that fill, might fill a spot. Interesting. Now, and uh, makes makes sense. Now, 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 on that journey that you've had over the last eight or nine months and with that position in mind, have you seen a correlation with you know, how many uh, proposals that you were submitting to those that were converting through that like simple language change and more use of frameworks? Yeah, there was. Like by the end of when I made that change, by the end of those, I had a couple conversations that they were like essentially first call, which is like, hey, let's work together. Like they, like they were sold, like it was 10 times better than like a W2 interviewing process where you have like six interviews with like three different teams and all this stuff. Um, so in that regard, I love, I love that. So there was, there, there was a massive change just in the tone and, and, and how it works. And, you know, I haven't had as many sales conversations since then because I haven't, you know, we've, I've maintained the relationship with these clients you know, the type of work we're doing, it kind of requires a little bit of longer work. I'm not going to churn through people so quickly unless it's project-based. And so, you know, I haven't taken on a lot of conversations since then of new work. Uh, but when it comes to that point, I'll probably relook at the proposal and everything I've learned with these first two clients, because there's certainly some things, elements in it that I'm like, I can't, it's not sustainable long-term that will, I'll reevaluate and Kind of adjust for next time great um and just 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 one final question i think it's a nice nice place to to finish now you said that your 
your initial goal was to get where you uh, start or where you was with your salary yep. and then you said you've now surpassed that i think from our last conversation where we had a technical difficulty you kind of alluded to the percentage increase if you don't yep. mind just confirming what that is because i think that's really uh inspirational for the people uh listening like how quickly you got there so it'd be good to know what that is now and then how long did it take you to to kind of your salary and kind of what that progression has looked like over the last nine months yeah, for sure. So I got laid off in September, which meant that that initial runway went through like middle end of November, essentially like Thanksgiving time in the US. And um, I, I never considered it a raise or earning more because the way I, I essentially was just banking stuff in there to extend runway on mm -hmm. current salary. Uh, all those early days were very just project driven. So they had end dates. So I had to do it that way because they weren't recurring. And pretty quickly, I realized I needed, I wanted recurring to feel a little yeah. more like long-term I was set. And so I didn't really nail down the final, I, I had two clients with recurring revenue by December, but then one of them, we increased the scope pretty dramatically in January or so. And so by, I think mid or end of January, February 1, I was making 40% more than I was making in my W2. And I, you know, I just think the re I think most, unless you're already working at like a tent a tech company with inflated salaries, um, because my, my level right now, which is around, I was just like around probably like total across everything around like the 140 US dollar range, 140,000 for a year. If you were to put it out, mm -hmm. you know, it fluctuates, but if you were to estimate what it would be, that that's kind of like average tech range right so if you're already in like a tech salary range somewhere in that it might be a little bit tougher but in so many other industries i think there's a ton of opportunity with working relationships like this because you can tie dollars to value instead of just the eight hour workday mm -hmm. and as a con contractor that controls all on you so as long as you deliver the value and the value represents what you're charging in both your mind and the client's mind, then it works and you just find the right pairings. And so I think there's plenty of companies out there that would be willing to say like, hey, I'll pay you, you know, $3,500 a month for this stuff that I'm going to deliver for you. It's, you know, 70% of the value of like a full-time employee that you as a specialized contractor can get done in 25% of your daily workflow, right? Mm. So that's, it, it eliminates a lot of waste. And then you pick up four of those and you're, you know, you're earning a lot more than what you were doing elsewhere. So I, I think essentially that's like what kind of the path is. And um, if, you know, for those that are willing to kind of like take that jump, it, there's avenues to get there. And then, and then too, it's, a, it de-risks it, right? Like if you have four clients at $3,500 a month, you lose one, you don't, or get laid off from one. Let's say mm -hmm. they fire you as an agency, which happens. Well, like what's it to you? It's like, you took a 25% pay cut instead of a hundred percent pay cut, right? Mm -hmm. It's way less risky once you get to that point. So. I think on that note, I think that's a great place to to finish. Michael, thanks for coming on. Like a truly inspirational story. I'm so glad that it's worked out for you. 
and I, yeah. and I follow your journey with a, a keen eye. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. It was good to chat through. Cool. Thanks, Michael.